Welcome to the Royal Geographical Society with IBG Ask the Geographer podcast series. I'm Laura and in each episode we'll be meeting a geographer to discuss their research and where geography has taken them. The 4th to 8th of March 2019 is National Careers Week and to celebrate we're exploring where geography could take you. A recent analysis by the Institute for Fiscal Studies placed geography among the top subjects for graduate earnings, with female geography graduates earning over 10% more than the average female graduate. Alongside this, in an increasingly digital world, geospatial data, that's data about location, is central to understanding how society and the environment is changing. It's estimated that the value of this data could be worth up to £11 billion a year to the UK economy. In today's podcast, I'm joined by Terry Fremantle, Senior Earth Observation Specialist at the Satellite Applications Catapult. From tackling rapid urbanisation, food security to deforestation, the Catapult uses satellites and Earth observation data to understand locational change and its scale. In this episode, we discuss Terry's career at the Catapult and why Terry chose geography. What are Earth observations? Well, there could be many things, actually. Generically speaking, it's anything that involves measuring and monitoring the Earth. Typically, it's traditionally satellite remote sensing. However, it also includes uh, drones and aerial campaigns, but also in-situ data, so sensor networks on the ground, so flood gauges, for example. So it includes everything that tells us about the Earth. At what scale can urban and environmental change over time be recorded through this geospatial technology? Depends how deep your pockets are and what data you can get hold of, basically. So um, the best we can do is 31 centimetre resolution, so we can look at really, really minute changes, and you can even count sheep. That's how good the data is, but that comes with a cost. That ranges up from 30 centimetres up to more free data, which is about 10 metres, so you can get change at 10 metres. That's free and openly available to the entirety of the UK and European community. So you mentioned the cost there. How have technological advances in recent years encouraged innovation in this industry and access to this technology? It's been a really exciting time for the space industry in the last few years, particularly in the UK. Um, The government's been pumping a lot of money into the drive for space. Alongside that, in the global community as well, there's been a massive drive towards the open source distribution of satellite data. So traditionally speaking, satellite images, even the lower resolution ones, were expensive. So the Landsat programme, which is the longest programme ever in existence, they used to charge for their data. Um, In the late 90s, early 2000s, they opened that data to the entire community and basically the use of that data went up. Since then, access to space has basically improved because of the miniaturisation of technology. So as technology advances, chipboards get smaller, you can build smaller satellites, you can build things cheaper and you can do what's called rapid prototyping so you can launch things quicker and at lower risk and at lower cost. And as such, there's now a massive influx of data in the industry now, so much so that we're struggling to process it as fast as it's coming in. So then we're responding to that with things like um, artificial intelligence and deep learning, so applying those machine learning algorithms to the data to process it faster. Can you share some notable case studies um, you've worked on? I did a really interesting project a couple of years ago with um, a few partners in London, actually, including Arup, um, UCL, King's College and Climate UK, and we were looking at the urban heat island in London. So we took um, thermal imaging from Landsat data and calculated what's known as land surface temperature, 
We then fused that land surface temperature, which was taken during a heat wave in 2013, with socioeconomic in metrics that were um, calculated using census data. To, in between that, we were able to spatially map what's called the Health Vulnerability Index. So we were able to see where in London there are vulnerable populations who might struggle in extreme weather events, particularly heat waves. Another one we've done, so the Catapult does a lot of work in the mining industry, so um, specifically looking at mining compliance. So obviously resource extraction is quite a degradating activity however it has to take place rather than stop mining companies we're trying to encourage mining companies to act responsibly and return the habitat back to how it was when they finished so they can take a baseline assessment from the start before they start mining and then they can look at the situation at the end of the mining activity and they can use that data to track compliance and also rehabilitate the environment. Thinking at a global scale, urban population is growing at unprecedented speeds, especially in South Asia and Africa. How can Earth observation data support the challenges this may bring? Well, we've already touched on this a bit earlier, so um, we can map urban change at various re- resolutions, which gives us a real quantitative assessment of how quickly these populations are growing. Obviously, rapid urbanisation comes with a lot of problems, including informal settlements and critical infrastructure may not be fit for purpose. So we can also look at things like road condition in developing countries. There's a, this is not a project we've done, but the World Bank and Nottingham University looked at UAV data, four centimetre resolution, and they were able to develop algorithms to use machine learning to map the condition of those roads. And from that, they could inform where the pinch points were in terms of traffic management, for example. So there's all sorts of different applications that we could do in the urban space. We can even look at things like uh, food security and water resources. Classic example would be South Africa, which is one of um, Cape Town's one of the first cities that's going to run out of water. You can use remote sensing to monitor those water resources and reservoirs and help inform resource management going forward. You've been working with the Society on the Migrants on the Margins Field Research Programme. Can you tell me more about your work with the research team and where it's taken place? So I was approached by Catherine and Michael about helping with some Earth observation satellite imagery for the programme. We discussed about what might be interesting to look at in the four um, cities of interest and then I consulted Digital Globe who are the provider of probably the market leading high resolution satellite imagery available who are also very philanthropic with their activities they tend to be happy to give away free data for researchers but also for -for not-for-profit activities such as this so they very kindly donated some imagery to the project which I spent my evenings and weekends processing at home from that we're able to map some interesting change looking at the settlement growth over time in the four areas of interest what did some of these images show the main most notable one actually was probably the the rapid advancement of informal settlements in very short space of time this is particularly clear in the in the example in Hargeisa um, there's a settlement there called Degali I think that's how it's pronounced um, in just the last 10 years, it's gone from being an empty patch of desert to being a settlement with what looks like thousands and thousands of displaced people. And just seeing that change turn up so quickly was just astonishing. But also in, um, in other areas, there's been massive land reclamation. So I think it was either, I think it was in Colombo, the, the settlement has basically grown over what used to be the river or wetland environment and it's essentially just disappeared so seeing that change in that urban population the settlement being in the middle of the city and kind of just being separate from the city at the same time that was just quite interesting to to study how do you hope that earth observations will inform the reporting and advancement of the sustainable development goals fortunately it's actually just been recognized by the united nations that earth observation and geospatial technology are critical to being able to deliver against the agenda And they do that by giving us the ability to map change over time. So we can look at the 
situation 10, 20, 30 years ago in some cases. For the Landsat programme, we can go back to the early 70s for North America and we can look at what's happened since then in terms of urban development, uh, habitat degradation, um, marine pollution, uh, ocean temperatures, for example. All of these things can be measured from space. Climate models actually rely on a lot of satellite imagery. So there's a lot of potential there to generate products that can inform on against the indicators for sustainable development, whether it's for food security or mapping poverty, uh, mapping urban development. The challenge comes here, though, is when we come to translate these products into indicators that can actually be used for by decision makers. When it actually comes to assessing the sustainable development agenda, there's still a piece of the gap that needs to be filled in between what we actually find out and how that can be used to inform against the SDGs, but also how how can the decision makers actually make decisions off the back of that. So it's a term we call data-driven policy. It's all well and good just generating these products, but unless they actually have impact on the ground, then there isn't much point. So we're working more closely with policymakers and people, organisations that work with the UN to try and find a way to address this. How accessible is this technology? Again, it used to be reserved for you know the scientists and the geospatial technicians of the world who have the expert knowledge. But fortunately, because of the, the open data now, particularly from the Copernicus programme, so the Copernicus programme is an EU-funded initiative which is launching 20 satellites until 2030, possibly on, onwards, um, and making the data free, so this includes radar satellites and optical satellites. And off the back of that, all of that data is available to the entirety of the community, and this means the general public as well. There are even platforms now that have been made, um, which are really good teaching materials, actually. So one of them is called uh, the EO Hub, or the Sentinel Playground. And what you can do is you can go on there, and someone else has gone to the work of archiving and visualising all this data, and putting very basic algorithms on there that anyone with no expert knowledge or teachers for example could go and log in and just start playing with this data with their students and it gives them a real good sense of the context of what they're looking at and the sense of space as well as place um, on top of that as well we can um, we also do a lot of work with outreach to spread the word about this so I'm a STEM ambassador and I go out to schools quite a lot and I work with a range of ages from primary schools sometimes younger but mainly primary schools and also around year eight when they're about to choose their options. We talk to them about careers in the space industry and then encourage them to also use these technologies. Do you have any specific encouragement for geography students who might be interested in pursuing uh, jobs in this industry? Just play around with the data, see what you can see what you can do with it, be curious, always ask questions basically. There's more jobs in this field now. I know when I started, when I graduated from uni, jobs outside research were basically non-existent. Now they're advertising 10 Earth observation positions a week in the UK, so it's a real growth area. So if you're interested in the space industry and you're interested in geography, it's a real good opportunity to combine the two. Where can students find out more about your work? If you want to know a bit more about what the Satellite Applications Catapult does, you can uh, check out our website. If you just Google the Satellite Applications Catapult, it will take you there. If you're interested in playing with some data, you should just visit the EO playground uh, or the Sentinel playground. But for my work specifically in the activities I do in Earth observation, particularly with sustainable development, you're probably best checking me out on Twitter. That's at Terry Fremantle. For more information on the latest updates on careers within geography and geography in the workplace, visit rgs.org forward slash careers or follow hashtag choose geography on Twitter for the latest updates. <laughs>